All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Millennial Sales Podcast. This is episode 200. 200 in the house. Someone play some music for me. Uh, I'm excited to get into this one. I've been doing some thinking, some reflecting. It's been a three and a half year journey to create this podcast and to get it to 200 episodes. Uh, a lot of early mornings, late evenings, weekends, etc., cetera, uh, that were spent doing the show. Uh, part of it was done uh, with a co-host, Brian Warner, who's going to come on here in a few minutes. We're going to chat it up. We're going to talk about sales. We're going to talk about the early days of the podcast. It'll be uh, more of a fun, uh, entertaining episode uh, than you know maybe the usual where we, we might get a little more tactical. Um, we'll have fun. We'll laugh. And you know, part of the podcast series was done uh, in a closet in my bedroom because it had better acoustics. Um, this part's done now in, in an apartment that I just moved into. So um, it's been a long journey. I appreciate first and foremost, everyone that's listening, that's sharing, that's subscribing, that has been a guest on the show. It's been, it's really is truly one of the uh, great pleasures that of, of my entire life so far has been doing this show. So I enjoy it. I love it. Uh, I'm going to keep it going. I'm excited for the next 200. So um, the only thing I've got to say is that if, if you have gotten any value from this show in the 200 plus hours that I've, I've put into it, um, I ask that you just head over to Apple, do a quick review, five stars. Uh, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, I'm on YouTube. You can hit me up on Twitter or Instagram at Tommy Tahoe. Uh, add me on LinkedIn, Tom Alamo. I love to connect with people. I love to chat with you. Uh, that's it. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, I'm going to get into my conversation with my good friend, Ryan Warner. We started this show again together three and a half years ago. Uh, I learned a lot of sales lessons also from him. Uh, you know, we started together at Tech Target. He's been a rep at Salesforce. He's been a rep at Yex. He's currently an outside uh, sales rep at F5 Network. So he's been around the block as well. I think you're going to enjoy his spirit and enjoy our conversation. So again, thank you to everyone that's listening, that is showing love. Uh, excited to see what comes next. Let's get straight into my conversation with my good friend, Ryan Warner. Let's go. Hot dog, hot dog. We're here. Millennial Sales episode 200 with my man, Ryan Warner, the man the myth, the legend who started it all with me. Let's do this thing, man. Great to be here, Tommy. Can you hear me okay, brother? I hear you loud and clear. You've got the camera. you got the mic. Mm. Let's roll, man. Let's roll. How are we doing this morning? We're ready. Hello, Millennial Sales audience. We love you. It's great to be here. Coming in from the Windy City, Chicago IL, birthplace of the baby back ribs. It's <laughs> negative two this morning. It's <laughs> three foot of snow on the ground. And I'm, we're bearing through it, though, man. How are things out here? Today? It's great, man. It's about 55 here. We're chilling. It's chilly, though. I mean, hey, we got to have our jackets on and whatnot. But just just to earn some uh, earn some rapport with the audience that's here for sales content. And, you know, I wanted to have you on, man, talk about the early days of the podcast, why we mm. started this thing, mm. lift the curtain. We've had a lot of new listeners since uh, the last time that you came on, probably last year when we ran them ultra marathon honestly or two years ago that is so um we'll, we'll talk about the genesis story but just real quick maybe give people a two a 30 second background on the sales side of ryan warner because people forget although you are a podcasting legend a sales guru to the core uh and one of the people that taught me a lot of lessons about sales appreciate that tommy so i am an outside sales rep at f5 networks been uh, in outside, you're in sales in one capacity or another for about six years. Got my got my chops at Tech Target where we met. Came up to the Tech Target training program. Uh, was there almost two years. And shout while out Tech I was, Target. Shout out to Tech Target, man. That's that's where that's where you go to learn some things. Um, mm -hmm. Fantastic sales training, and that's where I first heard the phrase, "You want to eat what you kill." I didn't know what it meant at the time and it scared me. Um, but I was like, I was like on the border of, do I want to be a product specialist? Do I want to be a salesperson? And they go, no, no, no. You want to eat what you kill. All right. I go, okay, I'm in. So I guess that meant sales. Um, 
And so was in sales for two years at Tech Target. And while I was there, started selling to a little company called Salesforce. Maybe you've mm. heard of it. Um, <laughs> and I became obsessed with Salesforce and started uh, applying like crazy to get in there. Could not get an interview for the life of me. Um, finally got an interview, got on board at Salesforce, was there two years, rose through uh, a, a couple ranks, not all the ranks, a couple ranks. And then my, I had a short stint in a startup and now I'm at F5, as I mentioned, where I love, uh, I love the sales culture at F5. So things are fantastic. I love sales. While I do many things in my time, I, I still am a, a full-time outside sales rep and love the, uh, just love the game of sales. Yeah. I mean, it's just so much like, I mean, you spend a lot of time talking about wrestling. We both grew up playing sports, watching sports. That's the easiest connotation to me is like sales and sports are both super applicable to a lot of phases of life. The, the habits you have to have, the discipline, you know, the hard work, the attitude, all the resiliency, all of that uh, carries forward to your relationships, to your health, to side projects that you do, whatever other careers that you want to have running a business. It's all, you know, it all ties into the same framework. And I just, I love the freedom of it too. Like sales is, sales is the renegade corporate job. It's kind of a corporate job, but at the same time, sales is king. And so if you're, if you're slinging the dollars down and you're closing deals and hit your numbers, you're going to have a lot of freedom in how you conduct your day. And that's something that really is important to me. And so I always recommend, I always mention that to people who are thinking about sales. Hey, you know, the first year or two, might be tough dialing for dollar setting meetings, but once you, once you get uh, a territory, once you get your own quota and you're a, a sales rep day in and day out, there's a lot of freedom to how you set your schedule, to how you conduct your meetings. And the other thing is that there's no right way to do it, right? There's a mm. lot of people who have been successful in a multitude of approaches to, uh, to sales. And I want to learn a little bit more about I do want to talk about the podcast, but just let's just stick with your sales side for a minute because I'm let's having fun with that. So like, tell me a little bit about the Genesis story of, of you getting into sales because you had a, you had a kind of a weird path. We all do. Everyone that I talk to, everyone's got kind of a weird way that they got into sales. No one's like grew up, no one was majoring in sales and then went into it and just started crushing. Everyone's got kind of a weird trajectory. So tell me about that coming from law school and, and how you randomly kind of got into this world. Yeah, so it started my senior year of undergrad. I took the LSAT, was waiting for my LSAT results to get into law school, felt that I was going to go be a lawyer. Um, I'd watch Jerry Maguire, and he, he went to law school. I'm thinking, let's do it, Tom Cruise, me and you, buddy. Um, and so I got my LSAT scores back, and I did terrible. Like, I got into one school terrible, and it was – I don't even know the name of the school, but it was horrible – um, so luckily I had a teacher that recommended that I go to grad school to buy two years. So went to grad school, bought myself two years of time to retake the LSAT. And while I'm there, I meet a mentor and he says, Hey, you know, I know you're thinking about going to law school, but maybe you should think about sales. And I'm thinking, what, like used car sales, like the guys <laughs> at the mall in the vestibules where they're selling like Verizon plans. I don't, I don't know. You know, what do you, what are you talking about? <laughs> and this guy worked at VMware. He was an old salty legend. EMC legend. Um, and he goes, listen, you know, tech sales out in the Bay Area is a real thing. You can make some real money. And, you know, you work from home, essentially. And that's because I kept seeing him. He never went to the office. He's on the phone all day. And it just seemed like a fun thing to me, like the ability to travel and get in front of customers and so I had probably 17 or 18 interviews for SDR slash BDR, just the Gruesome. most horrible experience. Horrible. Wait, so why did, hold on. Why did he think you'd be good at sales? Did he um, say? I think it would be just because I, uh, I'm an extrovert, but I do not think you need to be an extrovert to be in sales. I think that's a common misnomer. And I yeah. don't think people are born salespeople, but I do think he just saw that one not afraid to strike up a conversation with someone um, and two, have a, a little bit of a knack for developing relationships or building rapport right away. And really that's not talking. It's more so 
listening to what the other person's saying. And so I think that might've jumped out to him. And also the fact that I was competitive by nature, um, you know, wrestled, you know, throughout high school and a little bit in college. And so those two things, the competitiveness, and then just the, the ability to strike up relationships, um, maybe that jumped out to him. And maybe he just wanted to help me make some real money. You know, lawyers, they work hundred hours a week. Their ass is strapped to a chair. They make good money, but not sales money. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So you're going through the, the uh, BDR pro, uh, interview process, which is just brutal. <laughs> horrifying, horrifying, <laughs> absolutely terrible. And, and, and granted, I had never done sales at this time. So I didn't know if I was going to like it or not. And I had actually retaken my LSAT. So my second LSAT, I did good enough to get into some like mid-level schools. It's reputable where you're not embarrassed to say the name of them. Yeah. So at my whole family, this is like, I have six months left until I'm done with grad school. My mom, my whole family thinks I'm going to law school. All my bosses at my job in, in grad school, they think I'm going to law school. But behind the curtains, I'm starting to interview for these sales roles. And when I say sales roles, I just mean inside sales, BDR. So I got down the path at VMware pretty far. Almost, almost. I think I did get a job offer there. But lo and behold, I meet this incredible company, Tech Target, And they have this plan where they say, listen, we'll hire you out of school. You come to Boston for six weeks. We'll train you up. And then you go out in the field right away. You don't have to be a BDR or an inside sales rep. And I go, that sounds perfect. Um, and so took the job, canceled my law school plans, called my mom, told her, hey, I'm moving to Boston. And then I'm moving to San Francisco. Had to tell my Nana, my grandma, I was terrified <laughs> to tell her. She doesn't like her boys leaving the state. Rest in peace, <laughs> Nana, rest in peace. Um, so I had, had to call the whole family and they go, you're moving into sales. Like, what is that? Because in the Midwest, especially where I'm from, a small farm community, there are no, you know, software sales reps. There are no high tech salespeople, and you ju it's just not a respectable thing to most people. And, and you're the were you not the first in your family to go to college? First in my family. So to go there's to no college. connections here. There's no like it, you're just you're forging the path. Forging the path, and you know, everyone was excited that I was going to go to law school maybe, and then you know I didn't do that. Ended up going to Tech Target. So I get to Tech Target June one. And I had a, a number of unfortunate events my first couple of days, which we can talk about, but uh, um, ended up starting at Tech Target. And, you know, like I said, that first week of June back in 2014, and by the third week of July, I was in San Francisco for my first day of work in the field. And mm. those first three months were harrowing and almost quit a couple times, finally about October. So now you know, almost six months into the six months into my sales career, started to close the deal, started to get some confidence, ended up making club that first year. And then from there, I was like, all right, I can do this and have been, uh, I've been in it ever since and really not, not looking back. Dude. I remember when I started, cause I started at tech target a year after you. And by that point you were crushing it. Like you were the guy that people were talking about in sales training. They're like, Hey, follow this guy, do what he's doing. So I remember I'd go into Salesforce and I'd start reading your emails. I'd be like, what is he saying to people? And, and I remember this for one reason that stuck out to me. You had emailed someone on a Saturday. Mm. And I go, what? This guy's emailing people on Saturdays. I need to set my game up. And so I was, remember I was looking at how much you sold in a certain month. And I'd like tack that number on my desk. And be like, I'm going to sell that much this month. And I remember that was just like, you kind of laid the blueprint out and uh, it's just kind of trial by fire when you're it, starting out. Right. It's like it, it, so much can go wrong those first few months that you just got to kind of push through and, and try to figure out your system. Yeah. And it's, it's all about just resiliency. I mean, your, your first three months, whatever cold call you make, whatever sales meeting you have, you're going to look back a year from now and just be appalled at whatever you said. And you're going to wonder how anyone bought anything from you ever or why anyone took a meeting from you. That's how, and it's like that for anyone, right? Um, but no, I really, you know, the first week in sales training, in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm walking out of this class, number one sales rep, hands down. I actually wasn't when I left. I was number two. But bottom line, I, I, the mentality I took into it was, 
I'm going to be the first one in every day. And after the sales training's done at five o'clock, I'm going to go meet with all the sales VPs and practice my pitch. So I'd be going up to people like Annie Matthews or Brian McGovern and saying, Hey, do you got 10 minutes? Let me get in a, in a, in a conference room. Let me practice my pitch. So I was doing that every day. And I was really trying to focus in on like the craft of it. And in the sense of on the weekends, you know, I didn't have a lot to do because I didn't know anyone. So I would be out by the pool and like writing out, all right, this is the elevator pitch. These are the three bullets I think are important. Um, so once I had my elevator pitch mastered, then I would say, all right, well, who are our top three competitors? Let me create a battle card for that. And so I would have, you know, competitor A and three reasons why we were better. And then once that was done, I would say, okay, what are the top five market trends? And I would research that and be able to talk about it. And so in my spare time outside of the sales training, I was developing this, this confidence in myself, but also this knowledge of, okay, this is our... I'm going to be able to give our value proper, our elevator pitch better than anyone. I'm going to know our three competitors better than anyone. So that if someone brings it up on a call and they say, Hey, we already use so-and-so I can say, well, have you thought about this? And so I kind of like methodically broke it down um, and really just treated the sales training like a game. And then when I got in the field, same kind of thing, you know, first one in, I wasn't the last one in there. Cause I remember I took the train home at five Oh five and I was out at five Oh five, but I was in early. Um, and I was just very open to people about my goal is to be the number one sales rep in the company, hands down. And I just was baffled that people would be in sales without that goal. Like how could you possibly be in a job like sales without having the goal of wanting to be like the top dog? It just seemed natural to me to want to have that spot. And so I think people just appreciated the openness. Yeah. And like, and putting it out there, Right. Um, I want you to talk a little bit about because, you know, after a year or two later, this is um, after this is kind of the tail end of you at Tech Target. And, and then while you're at, going into Salesforce, you're in San Francisco. I end up moving out there. And, uh, you know, some life circumstances actually happened to bring us to live together. Yes. And uh, and that was when I was, you know, you were you weren't a veteran, but you were a couple of years into the game. You're doing well. You're at Salesforce, one of the best, you know, software companies, tech companies in the world. And, um, and I'm kind of on my come up. And I remember, I don't know why or how, but I remember you gave me the Augmandino book to read. Ooh. Greatest salesman in the Ooh. world. That was very distinct to me that you, you passed that on. So I'm, I'm curious, like, where did that come into your evolution? Like, when did you read that book? This was a life-changing moment. And this book, I recommend everyone buy it. It's called The Greatest Salesman in the World. The book is divided into a certain number of scrolls. I think it's called seven scrolls. And you have to, the instructions of the book, when you open the book, there's like a preamble chapter. Then there's instructions that say, you read each scroll once in the morning, once midday, once at night for a month. Then you go on to the next scroll. And so, when I first got this book, it came into my radar because I was reading an article that Matthew McConaughey, during a year abroad in Australia, he had read this book and it changed his life. And I was like, interesting. So, and it also had a sales title. So I thought, all right, I'll read it. I was on the beach in Santa Cruz and just decided to read the whole thing cover to cover. It was like 60 pages. And I was just enthralled with this book. That was on a Sunday. Next Monday, I'm on the trip the BART train right in to San Francisco to start my day. I read scroll one. I never did the midday read, but I did do on the train right back. I would read it again. And so I literally read the scrolls as it was said to do. I read scroll one for a month and then month two, I read scroll two. And I just, you know, I would recite these little sayings in my head. So for example, one of the scrolls says, um, I will form good habits and I will be their slave. Um, mm. Another one is, Mm, what is it, man? I got to, I got to look it up. Cause I want to share this now because I used to say this all the time to myself. Um, Dino it's 10 scrolls, by the way. Um, oh, here's my favorite one. I will greet this day with love in my heart. That was a mm. big one because in my early years in sales, I would wake up in the middle of the night and just have a fear of deals coming in or meetings not happening. And so I was, I was enjoying it, but I was so anxious about not hitting my number or not doing well. 
that it was just uncomfortable for me for a long time, like the first six months probably. And then once I had that little scroll, I will greet this day with love in my heart. I would say that to myself probably hundreds of times throughout the day. And it would just kind of relax me and calm me down. And so that was, that was huge. And that book, I reread that when I started Salesforce because I wanted to kind of re-energize re myself. And I read it again there. I've read it again since, but not in the fashion of a scroll a day. But dude, that was part of my morning regiment. You know, if you think about my prime sales years where I was only doing that and just focusing on killing the sales game, my morning regiment was get up, work out, get on the train, and the train was an hour. So I would meditate for 10 minutes. I would read a scroll that I would journal, and then I'd put on a song. And by the time that was up, I'd be downtown San Francisco walking to the office, and I felt like Conor McGregor walking in the Salesforce <laughs> building. I felt like, Just I swear to God, Mike Tyson walking in, and, I'm, and I would walk in not talking to anyone, set my stuff down, get my coffee, and I still got the music going. And at one point, my boss is like, dude, we need to – we need to have you change so you're a little more friendly around the office. But I would come in like that, like Mike Tyson. Hey, there's only one of us that's getting a promotion on this team this year. It's and it's not going to be. Yeah, it's going to. I'm going to do everything I can to make it me. And so, that was kind of my approach early on. Just total savage mentality, bloodbath, McGrath going in, taking no prisoners. And I think that I took a similar approach. I think there's different ways to do it. I, I feel like over time. I've kind of relaxed that a little bit in terms of like trying Same. to actually be friendly with the people you work with. Cause I think that brings benefits too, but I, I, I still hold to like, whatever you got to do in your first year, first year or two to like get the, get it going because there's so many things going against you. There's people saying, no, there's the anxiety and the anticipation of making a cold call or trying to sell to someone that's 30 years older than you or have this massive quota, or you might be in debt, or you might be making $35,000 a year to start out, and you're living in the most expensive city in the, in the country. It's like all this stuff is piled against you. So whatever you got to do to get in the zone, if that's listening to a song, that's going through the routine that you have, if that's, you know, not being friendly to other people or whatever it might be, like, I think you got to get yourself in whatever mindset to get I yourself rolling. And then you course correct along the way. Yeah. And I think it's, a lot of people just don't even have the permission to say, I'm going to try as hard as I can in this job. Because a lot of yeah. jobs, a lot of sales people I've met, they're, they're good time guys or girls. And, you know, they have a good time in the office. They make their calls. But no, I, I don't, I've rarely met people that say, my goal is to be the best at this. And so I was just thinking, well, that's what I'm going to do. And it, was, it wasn't just the morning routine. It was how I structured my day. I was, I had, you know, different things I was doing. So I had three buckets. It was opportunity creation, which is just setting meetings. So I would do my opportunity creation bucket in the morning from like seven to nine 30. And all I was doing there was reaching out, setting meetings. And I had created my call list the night before. So I'd come in, have my list. I'm calling, I'm emailing. And by nine 30, I've done a good round of prospecting. And then from like 10 to three during the prime meeting time, I would do what's called opportunity progression. So those are deals that I've already created and I'm trying to move them from stage one to stage two, whether it's yeah. doing a demo, whatever. And then in the afternoon from like three to five, I was doing a combination of learning by just reading about industry trends, for example, and then setting my call list for the next day. And I was just freaking maniacal about that and really just trying to tighten it up so that I could leave at five catch the train and not miss anything. Cause a lot of people would stay till like seven o'clock, but they weren't doing anything. Yeah. Um, and so I would just go hard from seven to five with that routine for a good two to three years. And then it just gives you the confidence to say, if, if I'm doing that, whatever the, the numbers are, the numbers are, you know, it's going to, the sales are going to happen or not happen. But if you're putting in the work like that consistently, you have the confidence to just kind of let that stress I was mentioning earlier, ease out a little bit. Yeah. And I, I love the thought of too, especially in this remote world where everyone's in their home office or, you know, in their apartment or wherever they are of, it's not about when you clock in and clock out necessarily. It's like, how, how focused is the work? How smart is the work when you're there? Right. Because mm -hmm. without all the office distractions, I mean, the amount of times that you're in an office and you're talking to people and you're grabbing coffee and 
person's got this funny thing to show you and all this stuff. Like you're, there's a lot of time that is not, you're not actually working in the mm -hmm. office. Um, and so if you're at home by yourself and you're just locked in, you can probably get the same amount done in less time if you really focus on it. So again, I don't think it's, I think hard work is key. I think the amount of hours, sometimes you got to push it to get it done, but I don't feel like you have to work 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day to be successful in sales. If you are doing that, then you either have a really stressful situation going on that's kind of like a point in time, or you're probably not being as effective with your time as you need to be and where you can really dial it in. Um, I want to pivot. I want to talk about the early podcast days because I've been, I've been thinking about it, and I've had more people ask me in the last few months, like, oh, how'd you get started with it than, uh, than ever before? And I feel like we might remember it differently for some reason. Okay, but I'm excited like, to I talk about this. So, so you hit, hit me with when someone asks you, like, well, why'd you start the podcast or how did it start? Like, what do you say to people? Yeah. And so for folks listening now, you know, Tommy and I used to live together in San Francisco. Yeah, TR um, Talk. And we started a podcast together called TR Talk, Tom and Ryan Talk. We thought we were going to be Tim Ferriss for millennials. <laughs> we were going super wide, super broad. Um, and then when I moved back to Chicago in February of 2018, I started another podcast called Wrestling Changed My Life, which is one I still run now. But okay, let's get back to the origin. So in my mind, July of that summer, we decided to run the marathon. Um, mm -hmm. And then in August of that summer, you were adamant that we were going to start a podcast. That's I remember <laughs> I remember me being on the fence and you and I talking about it a couple times and then like one night you're just like we're starting this pod I'm starting this podcast do you want to do it with me or not? And I'm like all right I'm in. And that's how I remember the start and then I was getting exactly what I tell everyone now not to do. I was going nuts with the microphone, nuts with the logo, things that didn't <laughs> matter at all. Um I remember our first interview was with Rich Stone, yep. one of the sales legends who I've met in my life. Um, <laughs> we go to his building. Our microphone setup is one mic that's plugged in to a USB port, and we're kind of passing it around the table. <laughs> we're recording it in Audacity on the laptop. I, and then I'll never forget, this is the last thing I'll say, I'll never forget when we tried to upload the podcast for the first time and actually launch it. We didn't have the right size channel art. We didn't, we didn't know a thing. I just, and it took us forever to record the intro. Like now I can record an intro in 30 seconds. I think we practiced it in, <laughs> in my closet with the door shut to get the acoustics for a good 10 minutes. Um, I'll, I don't know. That's what about you, man? Like what's, what's your idea of the first time the concept came in your head? I just remember, I remember me pushing for it, but I remember us like, we, we were both kind of on the, on the come up. We were both on the grind. And uh, I think we were trying to find more productive ways to use our time than like going out all the time and getting super fucked up, you yeah. know, that, and like, not to say that we weren't, you know, having some beers and having fun, but I feel like we were trying to kind of like fill that void a little bit. And like, we're both kind of feeding off each other's energy. And I, what, the way I remember it is that I don't know how we came up with the idea for a podcast. I remember bringing a six pack of grapefruit sculpins to Rich's house. Oh yeah. Doing the podcast. And the way I remember it is that we did it. And either before the interview or after the interview, it took like several months before we actually published it. Because I think we were, we were afraid of maybe doing it. I was definitely afraid of what people were going to say. Oh, and horrifying. people were going to be, Fear. So I don't, I don't remember which, which, if it was before we decided to do it or after we talked to him and then we didn't publish it yet, but I remember I was terrified of that. And the funny part was that once we publish it, a lot of those fears actually came true. Like I had people at the company be like, Oh, what you're trying to be Tim Ferriss. Or I had an executive say salespeople should only stick to sales and like all this stuff. And I remember like, you know, I'm not going to call it names, but I remember the people, I remember what they said. And it like, there were some supporters, but I felt like after we kind of got on a roll, once we got some bigger names, especially once we got Jordan Belfort, people started to take it more seriously. But I remember in the first few episodes, people were, people were shitting on us. At least they were. to me. No, no. I remember that. I remember 
the absolute terror I felt when we decided to publish it. Um, so scary. But then also thinking after I published it, you're not that important. Like people aren't just hanging on to everything you publish and reading it and then judging it. Um, so two things happen. Yeah, some people did say that to me. They're like, oh, it's you guys are a little, and we were a little corny at the beginning. So we were trying to figure out what our, what our niche was, you know? Yeah. Um, so there was that, but then also it's like, listen, there's so many things being published every day. You're not that important. People aren't hanging on to your every word. Like you think they are. Don't just get over yourself and just get it out there. You know, if you feel good about the content, get it out there. Um, I will say though, I feel like we did the interview with Rich knowing that we were doing a podcast. I don't remember the delay and when we published it, we'd have to go back and see when that episode was dropped because in my mind, it was like a week later, but in your mind, it's months later. Well, maybe that, maybe it was, it was months of us talking about doing the podcast. And then I do remember one day storming into the apartment and saying, either we're doing it or we're publishing it or something. And I remember I was hyped up for some reason. That's what I remember. I'm sick that. and tired of being afraid to do this shit. So I remember that. I remember the first name we came up with because I still use this email for my my iPod or my Apple iTunes account. Sales Arena is what we were going to call it. Um, and it was just like, what are we going to talk about? What are we going to do? You know, and man, that. And then I remember the second interview was with question based selling guy. Yeah, Tom um, Freeze. Tom Freeze, respect. Um, and that's when it was just like a sales only podcast. And then we're like, well, we just want to talk about what we're interested in. And so we started getting other guests on, but yeah, it's interesting to think about that. Uh, the fear of the initial launch was real. Dude, that first year was crazy because like you said, we were training for a marathon. I'd never run more than like probably six miles before you probably hadn't run that far either. So like we're, it wasn't like we were runners that were running a marathon. We, we, pretty much just started from the ground zero. So I remember pretty much every day we'd be waking up at 4.30, 4.45 and we'd either be going for a run or we'd be in your room, coffees in hand, ready for a podcast. Yep. And uh, it'd be at like 5.30 or maybe six, it'd be like a six to 7 a.m. podcast. We'd be prepping. We'd have the note cards <laughs> out on the laptop that'd be like, that would tell us to stop doing stupid things. It'd be like, stop saying that you're taking notes <laughs> everyone we'd have on the show we'd say oh yeah we're taking notes here we're taking notes like trying to sound smarter than we are by that we're taking notes i'll never and, forget uh, <laughs> that one time you're exactly right from within a six month period neither of us had ran more than three miles we had never done a blog never done a podcast that was like july by december of that year we had ran a marathon we had done like 20 <laughs> episodes um we had interviewed the wolf um, but the one I'm thinking of though, to your point, we were in, I mean, you're right. We, we were doing things together pretty much every day and we were training for the, ma- our long runs in the marathon were on Saturday. So Saturday morning, Tommy and I would always run our long run together. And it was like anywhere from 12 to 20 miles. We had the interview with Gabe Larson Saturday morning, <laughs> the whole time it's going on. And I could be wrong if it's Gabe. I think it was Gabe, either that or Ina Reno. And the whole time it's going on, we're just getting jacked up. After it ends, we're like fired up. 5.30 a.m., we head out on the run. We run, we come back. And that was like that whole fall is what I remember, that kind of routine. Yeah, that was that was Gabe because I remember we were talking to him. And it was like 5.30 or 6 on a Saturday morning. And he's like, fellas, you're on the West Coast. Like, what's going? What are you guys doing right now? And that was, that was just what we were doing. We just, we just locked in. We were so locked fun, in on man. the, on the routine and on, on the discipline of everything. I got to give one, one of my favorite slash least favorite stories is there's a very well-known sales authority that he's okay. an author. He's a consultant. People, especially in SaaS sales, love his book. He's kind of a big name and we got him on the show and I'm not going <laughs> to say his name, but <laughs> First of all, he, he forgets that it's the time. It's a Saturday morning again. So it's like yep. 7 a.m. on a Saturday. We wake up early and like, you know, we're ready for it. We're prepared. We're very prepared for these interviews. Like we're, we're taking several hours to prepare for him, read, read his book. And uh, we call him. He's like 10 minutes late. He's like, oh, sorry. You know, I'm in, I'm on the mountain or something like skiing. He's like, ah, uh, I guess I'll show up. You know, I guess I'll come on. So we get him on the podcast and it's, it's audio only. There's no video. And 
you can kind of sense he's half there. After about 10 minutes, you hear, <laughs> you hear him like doing, doing Spoons. the dishes. Putting away the dishes. <laughs> and so the whole, the whole rest of the podcast, he's putting away dishes. You just hear the clanking of silverware. And that oh. did not get published. He is my sworn enemy. He doesn't know it. <laughs> I'll never forget that because walking home that Friday from work, I was walking near the Apple store in San Francisco and I'm feeling really guilty that I hadn't prepped at all for the interview because I knew you had. So walking home, it's like five o'clock. I stop at a Starbucks right near the Apple store in San Francisco, prep for like two hours, read some of his book, watch his videos, feeling good about myself. And the next morning he does one of those numbers. Um, horrible. I also never forget, and I'm going to say his name because he's not listening. Rich Roll. <laughs> We're interviewing, I mean, a really big get. Like we were he's, getting some big a guests. A legend. Rich Roll runs a podcast. Yeah. Runs a podcast and we're interviewing him. He gets on the podcast. He probably has no idea how we even agreed to this. And I don't know how we got him, but we prospect the shit out of him and we got him. <laughs> Halfway through the first question, the call goes silent. He goes, wait, what was the question again? <laughs> And I shrunk into the corner of this conference room at Salesforce, hit under the table and wanted nothing to do with the rest of the interview. And I'll never forget just the horrible feeling of insignificance I felt when that happened. And it was a, it was a lesson of not taking things too personal, but also just kind of realizing that, I don't know, man, sometimes people got other shit going on and I'll never forget that. Cause it was a horrible feeling though. Horrible, man. That was, that was bad. So another favorite was we had Bill Cartwright, who, if you watched uh, the Michael Jordan documentary, he's in there. He won five of the six titles, I believe with MJ. He's the center. He's like six, what is he? Six ten, And he teaches at university of San Francisco. So we got him on like a Thursday night to come to Salesforce and we brought it up to a conference room. The guy and, literally uh, is seven, seven, twelve. I'm gonna. He's. I've never seen anyone taller. And like and Salesforce people are walking out from their day. We're walking in with Bill Cartwright, <laughs> Chicago Bull legend, and people are like, "What the hell's going on here?" And we we interview him. He honestly will not. We're, we're trying to goad him to say anything about MJ. He will not tell a Michael Jordan story because they had a, they had some conflicts. MJ would call him out because he used to get hurt. I think he thought he was soft, all this stuff. So he will not tell. We're trying to do everything. He will not tell the story. He's sitting in this tiny chair that he can barely fit in. Knees are and, to uh, his chin. <laughs> and uh, I remember afterwards, people are like taking pictures with him and stuff. Man, we had some, there were some great guests and we had, we had a hell of a time. I just remember after almost every interview, especially in the morning, it'd be like 6 a.m. to 7. And we, the second we hang up on the guests, we would just get so hyped up and we do push-ups after we'd be screaming and that was all before the day of work start i mean that was at seven in the morning we were just so hyped there's two stories i have to tell real quick one is i'm not going to mention the name but there was an interview we did and the guy kind of got passed down to us from someone who is pretty famous and the guy who's pretty famous said unless you get fifty thousand downloads an episode don't reach out to me and i was like humble brag all right so we get that grant cardone no. Tucker oh, who is that? Oh, oh, oh. He's not listening to this either. No. So <laughs> we ended up getting in touch with Oh. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So we, yeah, yeah, we yeah. he's like, interview this guy. And we're like, all right, we never heard of him. We almost don't show up for the interview. Turns out to be one of the great legends that we've met through this, JT McCormick. And he is fantastic. It just goes to show you, never judge a book by its cover. We didn't know anything about JT. He was one of the best guests we've ever had. Um, mm. and then the second one, I have to tell this, do you remember the video we recorded on our fire escape after Dreamforce? Yes. You had gotten probably two hours of sleep all, the, all week. <laughs> I'm holding a microphone that's not connected to anything <laughs> just to give the look that we're using a microphone. What the hell were we thinking? Oh my God. That was great. What that video was great. is that? I saw it it's, recently. It's on YouTube. Yeah, I sent it to you because I was going through some old videos on YouTube. It's on there. <laughs> it's on the Tommy Tahoe channel. You can subscribe. Oh, um, my God, fantastic. So, so let me ask you this. I've got a lot of people that, like I said, that hit me up and they're like, yeah, I want to do, I'm thinking about doing a podcast and this and that. And um, for me, mm-hmm. I can just say hands down, it's, it's changed my life. 
in so many ways. It's made me a better communicator. Uh, it's helped me flex my creative muscle. It's helped me network with people and build relationships. What it really, I think, has done is like it, it's just been such a long road that you have to be consistent. You have to do the work. You have to keep plugging away mm-hmm. early mornings, late nights, weekends, so on and so forth. Yep. And I think people say, you know, now that my show is about sales and I'm in sales, that it's like, well, obviously that's helping your your career and helping you get better. But yours now is about wrestling. Mm-hmm. And you are not a wrestler. You are not a wrestling coach. You don't get paid to do anything uh, in uh, on a wrestling team or anything like that. But I would imagine that it's helped you with your career and, and still been something that like influences other things you do. Would you say that? Yeah, because sales is about building trust. The faster you can build trust with someone on the phone, the faster they're going to tell you about their projects and their pain. And then you can see if you have a product that can solve it. So if you can't build trust with someone, you're never going to make it in sales. And on the same token, a podcast interview is not going to be fruitful or comfortable if you're not able to develop some trust early on. And the easiest way to develop trust is by doing prep and really firing off an early question or an early couple of comments that show them that you've done your homework. And that's true for sales too. Again, the opening line of an email better not be about you. It better be about them and that you've done your homework and you've read their their latest earnings report and you know the strategy. Um, so that is super true. The trust is just, is everything. Um, the other thing about the podcast that really helps you is, and I call it the three second rule, it's really easy to talk over someone on a Zoom or to say something like you you act like you're listening, but you're really not. And you're going to say something no matter what that person says. That's not a conversation and no one wants to be part of that. So one very tactical thing I learned through podcasting is when you're on a call with someone, video call or not, you don't talk until there's been a three second gap between when the last person said something. So for example, you might say, Ryan, how did that impact you? I usually in my head count three seconds before I answer. And you'd be surprised on how many sales calls during that three second pause, the other person feels uncomfortable and then starts talking and it starts revealing and data dumping all this stuff because the silences are awkward to them. So really milk the silence. And after three seconds, if someone doesn't say anything else, then you can go into what you were going to say. So at a high level, the ability to build trust is crucial to any relationship in life, but especially a sales relationship. Um, And then just the silences, you know, getting comfortable with, you know, a, a three second pause in a conversation is, is really helped me. Yeah. And three seconds on a zoom feels like an eternity. Like what I just did was probably a quarter of a second. Yes. <laughs> I was waiting. <laughs> I was waiting to three, but yeah, it is. Um, but especially if you get on calls with multiple people, you know, there's people talking over each other and um, you know, again, it's just, I was on a call literally a month ago where I was doing that. I was actually out for a run and I forgot I had the call and I took the call and I really wasn't prepared for it and bad advice for everyone listening, but I was just going to, I'm like, I'm just going to, I'm going to juck and jive and get in there and, and see what can happen just by using some of the core things we talked about. So every sales call you open with some rapport building, right? You don't talk business for the first five minutes. Um, if you have no rapport, you can say, Hey, where are you from? Oh, are you, have you always been from Illinois? You know, so build that rapport five minutes in six minute mark, set the agenda. Hey Tom, appreciate your time. We could talk sports all day, but I don't want to, I want to be respectful of your time. Let's get into the agenda. And then you ask them what's going on in their world. And before you know it, you're 20 minutes into a sales call and you haven't pitched anything. Um, and so those core components Report building, set the agenda, get the customer talking. By 20 minutes in, then it's time for you to talk. And then, you know, you can regurgitate what you've heard and, and spin it to into something how you could help. So I think the those have all been skills that have been honed by podcasting because, again, you're just getting on here and having conversations with people who you know, otherwise wouldn't know. Yeah, I mean, I think it's all about you, you, you feel so much quicker on your feet. And uh, I feel like you can get a lot better at the opening five minutes. Like you said, you know, when I listen to master interviewers, uh, they don't lead with the power question. 
You know, they don't get on the interview just like you wouldn't get on a sales call and ask like, well, what's your biggest pain? Or, you know, what's your timeline for this? Or what, you know, whatever it might be. Uh, Tim Ferriss doesn't jump on or Joe Rogan or Oprah. I mean, they, they're masters. They, mm-hmm. they massage you. And I was listening to an Oprah and Tom Brady podcast, obviously, before the Super Bowl uh, this past weekend. It's, it's from a few years ago. And she's, she is like massaging him. She's talking about how great he is, how great his diet is. And then like 22 minutes in, she's like, so how about the flake game? You want to talk about that? And I'm just like, oh, Oprah came in with the right hook there. Yes. She had to butter him up. She had to butter him up first. So it's the same thing. You got to kind of earn the right to ask tough questions, whether it's an interview, whether it's a sales call, whether it's anything else that you're doing. So I think there's a lot of applicable skills there. I love that stuff. I love geeking out on that. It's also important, like you said, you know, I heard someone say it wasn't a good sales call. And if you didn't ask a question that made you feel uncomfortable. And when I first Mm -hmm. heard that, I'm like, yeah, all right. So opening the call, I'm dropping that uncomfortable question and the, the call just gets derailed. It's horrible. It's cringeworthy. And same thing with a podcast. I actually heard Rich Roll say this talking to somebody. He's like, some of these new podcast hosts think that a good interview is holding me upside down by my feet and shaking my pockets loose until I've, they've answered or I've answered every tough question they have. The reality is that you want to ask those tough, uncomfortable questions if the trust is there. And like you said, three quarters of the way through the interview you know like rocky doesn't fight apollo creed in the first five minutes it's the last third of the interview the last third of the interview or the last third of the sales cards where you ask the questions that you may be afraid to ask mm. all the good stuff happens in the last third right right i mean a marathon's pretty isn't mm. too hard till you get two-thirds of the way through always right i mean it's all <laughs> so i know we're, we're getting locked up on time a little bit here uh, you got anything else? To sh- any other stories? Any other thoughts? I mean, I'm fucking excited to be excited. at episode 200. I think you just you either just hit or are about to hit 200 yourself on your podcast. So I'd be remiss not to let you throw a shameless plug to any of the uh, wrestling fans out there in the sales world that might want to check out your show too. Appreciate it. It's called Wrestling Change My Life. You can go uh, any of the apps. Uh, it's on there. Um, I think you'll like it just from the fact that we're interviewing people who have been super successful Olympic champions and hopefully you can learn something of what made them successful. And if not, it's, it should be entertaining as well. It's like every piece of content is either educational or entertainment based. That's why people engage with it to either learn or to be entertained. I like to think we're more on the entertainment side versus the learning where, um, but also you should be able to pick something up. The other thing I'll say about sales though is this, anyone who's listening right now, who's an SDR, BDR inside sales, just know that by your fifth year in sales, you can earn 300 grand a year minimum. That is the standard. If you're an outside sales rep at a tech company, your base salary is 150 and your commission is 150. That's what every legitimate professional salesperson makes. If you've been in the game five years and and you're on the outside, mandate at least 250 grand, if not 300. And I just want to put that out there because a lot of people don't know what, you know, think about all the outside sales reps at VMware or all the outside sales reps at Dell or HP or Palo Alto Networks. They're all making that. So just know that even Salesforce, just know that that salary is out there and that's what you should be shooting for once you hit that outside sales role or once you're in that quota carrying role, don't sell yourself short. Yeah, I mean, I think that's huge because a lot of times we're listening to what the employer is saying might be the yeah what what you'll make. So like if you come in and you know your worth, right? And so five years is maybe like a, a just an abstract number is it is, is an abstract. It could be it could be seven. It could be ten. It kind of depends on your trajectory and everything like that and in your experience. But if you've proven yourself to be successful outside rep and you go to one of those companies, I mean, and for the people that are just starting off, especially to keep that in mind, like if you're making 40 grand a year, like right. that's what I made coming out of school. Was, Everyone was, does you know, something. And so it's like, you don't see that path, but that path comes quickly if you do the job well. And so that's not the only reason to get in sales, but it's, it's a significant reason that if you have debt or you want to buy a house or you want to be financially free, 
Um, you can really control your own destiny and you can go out and be a, you know, study for six years and be a doctor or a lawyer or something like that. But this is the best way that I know if you it's more like fun. those skills. Yeah. I mean, it's tough. It's tough. You have to be good at certain things. You have to be able to ride the, the highs and the lows and everything like that, but you can really change your life. And the only reason I share those numbers is because a lot of people in sales who are not outside reps yet have told me I had no idea that that's what the path is. And I was just fortunate to have a mentor, actually two mentors, that the whole time were like, listen, the end goal is to be an outside sales rep. Um, for me, at least it was. And this is what you can make. And I was like blown away by it. Again, I had no idea. And so I just want everyone listening who's maybe not in that role just to know the path forward. Um, you know, money isn't the main thing that excites me by far. It's actually, it's not even close. But a lot of people in sales are motivated by money. And so I just wanted to share that in case there's any youngsters listening who are making 45 grand a year, calling 100 people a day, you know, doing the worst job in the world is a BDR. It's the hardest job. Um, it's not the worst job. It's the hardest job. But just know there's light at the end of the tunnel. And the freedom and excitement you get from going on sales calls is well worth it. And then the pay is always there. Absolutely. Ryan, I appreciate it. I, I, uh, I almost encourage people to go back and listen to the early uh, podcasts, which are in this feed. The mm. first, you know, 20 something. I, don't, I forget how many we did together, maybe 25 or so. I think 25 or so. Yeah. Uh, but I'm almost kind of scared to because the quality is, is so poor. The intros, a little corny, but the interviews, the, the guests were great. Um, and so if you want to do a little millennial sales TR talk history, go back to the early parts of the feed and you can check out all the conversations that we had. And if you haven't listened to the Jordan Belford interview yet, stop what you're doing, lock yourself mm. in the handicapped stall bathroom, pick <laughs> the feet up and get yourself 30 minutes because that's a, that's a fun interview. And I, I might have to re-listen to that now just to hear what the intro and the music was like. I, I don't even know what it was. I can't even remember it. I have. I can get the song in my head. I, I'm definitely not going to replay it right now, but I think that's <laughs> episode it's either 20 and 21 or 21, 22. We did a two part series with him. And that was uh, still to this day, the most downloaded episode. I mean, how could it not be? Respect, man. The wolf. I, I appreciate you coming on, man. It's an honor, brother. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for checking out that podcast. I hope you saw value, uh, whether you're you know working out right now or doing the dishes or, uh, you know, laying around the couch, whatever you're doing right now while you're listening to this podcast, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you found some value. If you did, the only thing that you can do to really help me out is to share this podcast with a friend, share it on social media, and please subscribe wherever you're listening, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, wherever it is, and leave a review on Apple if that's where you're listening. That, that's what helps us to spread reach, helps us to get better guests uh, like the one that you heard just now, um, and to give you as much value as possible. So connect with me, uh, LinkedIn, Kamalemo. Uh, Instagram, Twitter, Tommy Tahoe, and subscribe, leave a review, and make it a great day. Peace. Thank you so much.